0: Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own.
1: Check out the Johncast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: KYW Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. The entire
1: Philadelphia area followed the mighty max and we kept winning you know you look back and you think geez we were on the back page of the philadelphia daily news and even to this day somebody will see my name badge and go wait mighty max they relate to that one moment that that special moment that it was ours it will always
0: be ours And our guest this week is Teresa Grentz, one of the greats in women's college basketball, was a star player for the Immaculata squads that won three straight national titles in the 70s, uh, went on to an extraordinary career as a collegiate head coach. And Teresa, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's, It's a lot of fun. First thing I think people want to know, what are you doing these days?
1: Well, I'm retired, so I spend a lot of time with the grandkids. Uh, which is a lot of fun you just you know get them all sugared up whatever love them the whole bit and then give them back Uh, and then the other thing that I have gotten involved with Matt is here in Philadelphia the Women's Golf Association of Philadelphia which will celebrate its 125th anniversary this year which is remarkable and um, I have been involved with their executive committee and uh, It's just, uh, it's been a great thing because it allows me to still play. You get to be a player and uh, we're going to host our first, um, our first event on March the 6th at the Philly country club, uh, which will be a brunch with uh, the bar. will be our speaker thing. So we're hoping that we get a good turnout for that and uh, spend the whole year celebrating.
0: How'd you get involved with them?
1: Uh, you know, I was involved. I played, uh, in the, in the, what they call the Philadelphia gap matches, the, um, the women's golf matches, uh, team matches. And I met someone from Wilmington, uh, who was my godmother now, uh, Gail Anderson. And we were talking and she was talking about the board. And I said, if they ever have an opening, please, I'd I'd really like to do that. And, um, Gail put my name in and a couple of years later, um, I was lucky enough to uh, get on the board and serve. So it's been fun. I really, I just, I really love
0: it. Is golf a big passion for you throughout (laughs) your career, throughout your life?
1: Man, I'm going to tell you when I would be coaching, and uh, let's say we weren't doing real well or something. I used to think, you know, I said to my husband, I think I really need to be a golf pro. You know, I need to teach, get into golf. And he looked at me, goes, Teresa, you can't break a <laughs> hundred. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was great fun. I used to read all the books and do all that. But uh, golf is, it, 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 you can play your entire life. Like, that's what I loved about basketball was being a player. I love being a player. But in golf, you can still be a player. And that's what makes it so much fun.
0: So let's talk about your life in basketball. Growing up in the, the Philadelphia area, was basketball always the sport you played? Did you play all different sports? Uh, kind of what was your focus as a kid?
1: Well, you know, I grew up in Glen Olden and uh, over in Briarcliff, and we had, um, you know, a neighborhood of all boys. So I had two choices, Matt. I could either learn to do what the boys were doing, which was play sports, or I could help my mother clean. And, you know, she got a hold of me anyway, but I'd rather play with the guys and they taught us um you know football uh we used to play touch two hand touch and then baseball and basketball and um it was fun and the thing was back then and even you know when, when I think back to it the guys if you could play they considered you one of them you weren't a skirt or whatever the only guy who got mad was the guy who didn't get picked <laughs> That I replaced, but other than that, um, and I learned the the play. You know, guys pick teams differently than girls do. Guys, you two guys could get in the fight, whatever. But if they knew they had to have pick somebody to do the job, they knew that guy was the guy. They would take him. Girls, we don't pick teams like that. We pick our best friend. We pick who's the coolest, who's got the next party. You know, totally different. And I learned um, a valuable lesson. Uh, you know, playing with the guys, it was great.
0: Went to Cardinal O'Hara, correct? That's correct. So where's uh, where's basketball in high school?
1: Basketball, um, how about I don't really didn't know what I was doing. I tried out for the team and I made the freshman, I made this varsity team as a freshman, which um, was quite an experience uh playing with you know with the seniors and things, and I'm thinking, oh wow. But um, you know, we were we were very good. We played, um, I'll tell you, we were playing at St. James uh, High School. We're playing uh, Notre Dame. And Helen Manchin, who was the great player from Notre Dame at the time, we came up and I was a freshman. And at half court, I put the ball behind my back and went around. And they took me out of the game. And they said, why did you do that? Because that that was considered a hot dog move. And uh, I said, because she would have taken the ball if I had dribbled in front. So That was it. Then I did get back in the game. So that was good.
0: (laughs) When do you start realizing you're good? I don't think you ever realize it.
1: I think that um, I love the game. Um, I knew that I could play the game. But I never, never really think you're good because that there's always somebody waiting to knock you off. That's a bad place to be. I would never go there, but I knew we could play and I knew, and I loved it as a team. I just loved playing as a team.
0: What was it you loved? kind of break it down for me.
1: Um, you know, when you're on a team, you know, Matt and, and back then you have to understand girls sports was not a big, it was not a hot topic. Uh, we were fortunate enough at Cardinal Harrow, Mary and Espoli coach still the, the last three years there for me. And um, she integrity, compassion, um, just qualities that you learn about life were taught in the game. And, We played in the big Cardinal, Ohio gym at the time, which was unheard of. And we played in full houses. It was, it was, it was great playing in front of a crowd and being able to bring the crowd to its feet is the ultimate. That's, that's a lot of fun.
0: When did you start to think about basketball in college? I didn't, (laughs) I didn't. I, um, Uh,
1: We graduated uh, from O'Hara, and uh, there were two schools I didn't want to go to. One was Westchester State, and the other was Immaculata. And lo and behold, on the eyes of March in 1970, we lost our home in a fire. And I I had a full scholarship to go to Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, Maryland, which is where I was going to go. Uh, I was getting out. I was leaving. And um, that after, that Sunday, I said, no, I can't leave. I've got to stay. And I had arranged an interview at Immaculata unbeknownst to my mother because that's what she wanted um and I went out there that week I borrowed a suit I borrowed a pair of shoes and the whole things to go for the interview uh did that and went to Immaculata and then from there you know I didn't think that much of the basketball team because their field house they had they had also burned down in a, a sophomore class had burned it in a, uh, decorations with a cotillion or something so they didn't have a gym and I wasn't thinking, well, this is a place you're really going to win a few national championships. Believe me, that was very, very far away in my mind. And, but I knew a lot of the girls that were there had played together in the Philadelphia Catholic league, which by far is a superior league. And it was great competition, great coaching. And several of those players we got together and just happened to be at Immaculata at that time. And from there we went and, um, you know, I can remember saying to Denise Conway Crawford at the time who played at Prendy and we played against each other. We're in the same class. And I said, Denise, we're going to play here for four years. And I'm going to tell you what, we're not going to lose a game. Do You understand? We're going to play for four years and we're not going to lose a game. She said, great. That sounds good to me. So we played for four years. We lost two games in those four years. And I'm still ticked about the two that we lost. But other than that, um, it, 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 it was a Camelot, uh, Matt. I can't even tell you. You, it, like when you watch these movies today, like the other day, I'm flipping through the channels and I'm watching this boxing movie about a guy called the, the Challenger. And it's a kid from the Bronx and he's the underdog and he ends up fighting and he's doing well. And then he fights the champion who's much taller than he is and faster and bigger, whatever. And he beats him. And the whole Bronx community in, is involved and loves the Bronx boy. And and you have at that time, you have moments where you flashback and you think, you know, that one moment in time, that one special moment, I had that. And we had that together, and I'll always have that. And that is that is one neat, neat thing.
0: So you played for Kathy Rush, and you guys came in the same year? Her first year was, was your first year, is that correct? Yes, it
1: was. And Kathy was terrific. I mean, she was way, way ahead of her time, and um, she just – she had a way of motivating. She, she knew what she wanted to do. Her, Ed was, um, her husband, Ed at the time was, uh, in the NBA. So she was constantly studying, doing things. Um, and I know, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, the mighty Max, and I feel bad because Ed kind of got a bum rap in that was he really was supposed to be the, um, the antagonist. And it wasn't really true. He really was very, very supportive of us at that time. And, um, uh, you know, she was, Kathy was great. And, and, you know, to this day, she, um, she coached those teams and did a marvelous job.
0: How long does it take? And you talk about, you know, telling a teammate, we're going to win every game. But do you remember when you realized how special the group was? Was there a game or a even a practice where you just kind of looked around and went, yep, we've got it?
1: I don't know that it was then. I think it was later. I think it was afterwards when it, even today we can still – um we still remain very close and friends And when we get together. It's you go through the initial catching up on who's doing what, and then you go back to that time in the early seventies when we were in college and, and classmates and teammates and things. But the one thing about that team that was that we, um, when we play, we wouldn't, we would not disappoint each other, no matter what we had to do, we would not disappoint each other. The, the word selfish was never part of what we were doing. Um, we didn't really know what the national championship was at the time, uh, you know, getting out there and on standby and this, that, and the next thing. And it it, it really is an incredible story that the way the thing came about. But um, I think when we look back is when we, I know I most appreciate it. It was, it was just, as they we called it, it was our Camelot. It was a wonderful time, wonderful time.
0: That first year, and I was reading up on that first year, and I don't know if some of the articles had some creative uh, license given to them, but it does sound like originally you guys lost in a regional tournament and you thought that was it, and then you found out you got into the, it wasn't the NCAA, then it was the AIAW uh, tournament, and you guys were frankly kind of caught off guard, is that correct?
1: What happened was uh, it was regionalized, and we were in 1A, and there was 1A and 1B, that was the... The New England, East Coast, whatever. And because we had so many schools, we had two teams from, I, I think we were 1B, I don't remember at the time. So we played uh, Westchester. We were down in Towson and we played Westchester in the championship game and got clocked, I think by like 30, 38 points or something, whatever. And then we go... But the first two teams, the champion and the runner-up, was able to go to the national tournament in Southern Illinois. And as it turns out, we were 15th in the seed. There were 16 teams, and we were the 15th seed. The reason was because at that time, if you hosted the tournament, your school got to play. So Southern Illinois was the 16th seed. We were the 15th. And for the 15th seed in the tournament, to be able to win the thing was you know you, you just don't think that's going to be what is what's going to happen there. In fact, you know when it came time when we lost that game, the next week uh, we still had a game. I think we were playing Rosemont, if I remember correctly, and the following week was when we were supposed to go to the nationals. So we had a week in between, and we played uh, Rosemont I, or Cabrini. I don't remember which one, but anyway, Kathy being ahead of her time uh, did not play a lot of the starters that day. You know, she, you know, rested us up when we were able to win, but the score, the score was very close. Well, the next morning, and, and I only learned this a couple of years ago, Matt, when, Pat, uh, Kathy and I were playing golf. And she said to me, told me the story that the next morning, um, sister Mary of Lords, who was the president of Immaculata called her at like six 30 in the morning and wanted to know why that score was so close. Because here the school was, uh, and they really had, I guess, their their druthers about sending us. I guess there were some doubters on the, on the the staff, the faculty, for why they would send this team all the way out to, southern Illinois to play, when uh, there's no lot, there's not a budget line at this time. You know, there's not a postseason budget line, so there's no money. And um, Mary of Lords was a little concerned as to why this score was so. Uh, close. (laughs) Kathy had to explain to her what it was. I don't think it went over well. But anyway, uh, we went that next week. And in order to go, the nuns had said, and the sisters had said, listen, let's just pray that they go out there and they don't get killed. And, you know, be, you know, just they don't lose their confidence. So they get the tickets together and we go, well, there's only Kathy I think Kathy and two others may have been the only ones who had regular tickets. The rest of us were all standby. So not only do we have enough, we did not have enough tickets to take the entire team. We only took eight as, as and left three more home, but she had standby. She had to figure out which ones, if we were standby, which one of us was she going to go first? or la- it, it was a three ring circus. I have to be <laughs> honest. So we get out there and you know we have to rent cars we get into o'hare and we have to fly down we have to drive down to southern illinois and um we we go down there and we win the first one and they're all happy about that well we don't have any tickets to come back so we win the second one we win the third one and now we're going to play and we win the fourth one so now it's time to come home so we drive back to o'hare airport we have no tickets to come home so i mean i don't have a clue about anything at this point i'm just thinking all right you know, I'm in O'Hare Airport. I'm looking at this thing. This is massive. I've never been in anything like this. And Kathy and Sister Mary of Lords are going back and forth. Sister Mary of Lords calls her Sugar Daddy, one of those donors that they, those good sisters had. And he said, um, his name was Holloway, Mr. Holloway, and he, Kaz Holloway. And uh, he said, Sister, fly him back first class. So they flew us back first class. But on the same plane were the Westchester kids that we had just played. So we're in first class, and when we land in Philadelphia, the pilot said, "Would the Immaculata team still, you know, remain on the plane?" So poor Westchester had to walk all the way past us to get out. But on the outside, there were five hundred people at the gate waiting for us to get off the plane. It was just the most incredible thing. I, all my life, I've ever, whenever I get off a plane, I'd always look for that crowd to see if it was still there. But it was great. And the poor, I, you know, I felt so badly for Westchester because they had to walk through all that. And and they had laughed about, you know, Immaculate. Because when we lost at Towson, when we got beaten so poor, so badly. The joke was, because it was during the oil embargo and all that business, and they had said, hey, Immaculate, you just ran out of gas, was in the paper. And um, so when we got out to Illinois and we you know had the bank or whatever they, they were la- they they were joking with us hey Immaculata, did you bring your gas cans this time make sure you have your gas and here and now they had to walk through that that group there so a lot of good memories a lot of fun but truly it was um, all the stars lined up just perfect for that to happen
0: so you, you it was Westchester beach in that regional tournament then you beat westchester for the, for the championship. national championship yeah. real quick what what did you guys do differently what was the key to from get, getting blown out to turning around a few weeks later and beating them for the championship? Uh, One, I
1: I don't know. This was one was the night before in in the regionals, the night before we had all gone out to dinner. I don't know why they took us out to dinner where they should never have done that. And then I think we're out a little too late, whatever, and came back and we just, we did not play well. Um, And then when we went out there, it was like, okay, we lost this game, but forget it. We're going to do what we have to do here and get this done. We were a little bit, uh, uh, I don't, we, we didn't, it's not like we had any kind of special you know, plays or players to come in with. This is what we had and this is what we're going to do. And, and we just did it. And it was just a matter of, again, I think the biggest thing, Matt was, we just would not disappoint each other. That was, that was key.
0: You talk about getting off the plane and seeing 500 people waiting for you. Was that the, the first moment when you realized the magnitude of what you had done, or was there something else before then that really kind of was like, wow, like, okay, I get it.
1: Um, I think we knew that, you know, we could play. I knew, I think we knew that we could count on each other and I keep going back to that. But again, when we saw that crowd there that time, and you had to, you know, hear that it was like being a rock star, you know, but, but you didn't know it. It it was. uh, I guess some some of the other players might have some different ideas about it, but uh, um, I just like to reminisce sometimes about just think that you know we really did that, we really made that happen. We really, and the other thing that happened was one of the guys that was great in Philadelphia for us at the time was Dick Weiss. Dick Weiss, Hoops Weiss, was with the Daily News, and he was covering all the pro he the Sixers. He covered the Sixers and stuff, but at that time. But the, the Eagles, the Phillies, the Flyers, the Sixers all had losing records. It was a tough time on our pro teams. So what happened was we ended up on the back page of the Philadelphia Daily News. And Dick Weiss was the guy who came out and followed us. And I think Dick knew talent. Um, he, he knew it before we did. And he followed us. And the, the thing that we kept winning and kept making this happen, the entire Philadelphia area, followed the Mighty Max and we kept winning. And uh, yes, everybody loves a winner. And we're doing that. And as I said, the the pro teams at that time were struggling. So we were the, the, the hit. We were the Cinderella. And I think Dick Weiss was key about that. He really, he had a lot to do with that and following. And, um, you know, you look back and you think, geez, we were on the back page of the Philadelphia Daily News because that's what you did. You know, you got up, you got your coffee, you got your 15 cents, you got the Daily News. And Uh, off you went. And, uh, you know, Philadelphia is a great sports town. And, and even to this day, sometimes when I'm standing on the tee box at, uh, for Women's Golf Association, I take some pictures, you know, for the tournaments and somebody will see my name badge and go, wait, Mighty Max, you know, so they, they relate to that one time, that one moment, that, that special moment that it was ours.
0: It will always be ours. Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with former Immaculata University basketball star Teresa Grintz right after this. And we are back. Our guest this week is Women's Basketball Hall of Famer and Immaculata University alum Teresa Grintz. You mentioned uh, you know, the donor pays for you guys to, mm-hmm. to come back first class. That's obviously an inkling that life has changed. How does after that first championship from a, within the – The school standpoint, do do you feel like things changed all of a sudden? Are doors open to you? Are things available uh, that would have maybe been unthinkable, you know, six months earlier? Now, Matt, think about where we were. (laughs) We were at Immaculata.
1: For all intents and purposes, the college is on one side of the street. The mother house and the bishop is on the other side of the street. But there's all one set of rules, So the college girls were trying to break the rules and the girls across the street, they're trying to keep the rules. So if you think they these sisters or whatever, we're going to let us get a big head about this. Forget it. It wasn't happening. And it was uh, they had a line back there. And I'll never forget it. It was you're always useful in a job, but you are not necessary. (laughs) So it was great. They they kept us. uh, They kept us grounded
0: second year, 73. Mm-hmm. I think you guys have the first undefeated season in women's right. college basketball history. You've obviously proven your medal that first season. Did you notice a difference in opponents as far as how they came at you? Because I would imagine at this point now, you're circled on everybody's calendar. You're not the little school, little all-girls school from the Philadelphia area. You're the national champs. And How you obviously relished that, but did you notice a difference in teams you would play that, man, we, there are no nights off.
1: Exactly. There were no nights off from then on in. That's, that's why getting off that plane with those 500 people, that was like, that was euphoria right there. That was it. Because from now on, it was going to be very different. And we played in front of full houses. When we played at Cardinal Harry, it was packed. When we played at uh, we over at Villanova, because Immaculata, our gym did not have uh, uh seats in it, didn't have stands. So we'd go over to Villanova and play in their their field house and it'd be a sold out. It was packed. Um and yes, teams were coming after us left and right. They wanted a piece of us, and it was all part of it, you know. But again, I think Kathy handled it really well. For us, and made sure that we stayed where we needed to be, and I think that being at Immaculata, um, that was the other part of it. So it was, it was good. It was good, uh, a good learning ground.
0: Let's talk a little bit about your game specifically before we talk more about the team success. You were about a five eleven ish center, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How would you scout yourself? Give me the <laughs> the scout of you as a mighty Mac. Oh uh, well.
1: I enjoyed shooting the ball. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I didn't, and I never saw a shot I didn't like. Uh, and I enjoyed rebounding. We, though, back in Philadelphia, we played a game called Taps, where there were two guys outside, two underneath, and you had to, the guys outside had to shoot the ball. And if it missed, you had to tip it back in or tip it to your partner. That game, taught me tremendous, uh, coordination, hand-eye coordination, to be able to tip it back in before it, c- it came down to follow the flight of the ball, where it was going, tip it back, get the rebound. Um, they were my things that I like to do and I could handle a ball, you know, even though I was five eleven, I could handle a ball. And, um, uh, again, I just enjoyed playing and I, I can remember being in games. When we might be losing about something and figure, okay, now we need to be able to get, we got to get a steal here. We got to get a stop. And, um, those kinds of things. And the game was never rushed in my head. It was always, it was almost like in slow motion all the time. Like you could feel it, you could see it. Um, and that, and I enjoyed that part. I really did. And it's staying calm. And like, don't I, having emotions go up and down like this. That was not a good thing. That was not my game. I was very, and the same way with golf, you wouldn't know if I made an Eagle or a bogey. It's just play the game and keep a steady um keel there. But I just had a good time. I I loved it. I was very, very blessed and very, very lucky. And I ended up at the right place with the right people at the right time. And and that, Matt, is um that's our legacy. I will always be a mighty Mac. Immaculata will always hold a special place in my heart. Always. It was uh, it was a great, great time.
0: See so you beat Queen's College for that second title. Uh What's the second one like? Because I've talked to people that have been parts of multiple. Mm -hmm. Do they hit differently? You know, the first time, there's never anything like the first time I think you reach the top of the mountain. But is there a different type of satisfaction when you can follow it up with another one? Not to mention, oh, by the way, we ran the table on the entire season.
1: Well, there's two things there I can remember from that. Um, You're right. Everybody was looking for us. It is totally different. The first time you're walking through, everything's perfect. Everything's fun. Everything's new. The second time you have an idea what's coming. And we were walking into the locker room in halftime of the championship game. And I made the mistake of saying right in front of Kathy Rush, geez, I am really tired. And she said to me, and I remember this as clear as you have all summer to get untired. You're not tired. Get going. That was it. And then um, at the end of that game, when that game, that the last championship was over, um, I remember everybody was, you know, celebrating, moving around. And I had played really well uh, by all stands. I had stats and things. I rebounded well and um, shot the ball well. And uh, everybody's jumping around. They're t- taking the nets down. And I'm sitting in the the stands. I'm thinking to myself. We have to do this one more time. And I have just played as well as I can possibly physically play. How can I possibly play any better and win this? And that next year, and that championship wasn't four minutes old, but I was thinking, how do we do this? It gets harder and harder and harder. And you need uh, people when they come in, and this is where I think Connecticut and Tennessee and those coaches, you know, Pat Summit and, and Gino. When they recruit, people think, "Hey, well, I'm going to go to a championship uh, program and I'm going to win." They have to understand that when they go to that program, their their work has just begun. They don't have a clue how hard you're going to have to work to make that happen. It's you know the coaches just don't wave a magic wand, and that 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 progression happened for us from the first one to the second one to the third one. When we won the third one. I can honestly say I was very relieved.
0: And that third one, I think it was Mississippi College you beat in, in 74. And that's your final, that's your senior year. That's your that's it. your final game. So walk me through the emotions of a third national title, but also realizing that an extraordinary era of your life, of anyone's life, is coming to a close.
1: Um, Like I said, relief was one of it, that, you know, that We made this happen, that this did happen. Um, I didn't at that time I wasn't thinking I would never play again. That that hadn't quite entered in yet. When I take this uniform off, this is it. That that hadn't really factored in yet. But I can remember on the floor thinking, okay, we did this, because as you get closer to trying to achieve those goals, you become oh, I, I want I don't want to say carefree or freer, but you you're more cautious. And when you're more cautious like that, that's when you make mistakes and that's when you lose. You have to be able to play with that free, that freedom, that confidence. Um, and I don't care if it was 50 years ago or this year or whatever. You can't doubt if you've, you've got to be able to to keep it free and play with that. You can't worry about those other results yet. They haven't happened yet.
0: You mentioned at somewhere. you mentioned, you know, taken off the uniform and i just want to talk for a second i don't know if people appreciate how different the basketball uniforms were back Mm -hmm. in in this point kind of describe what you guys were i saw one description something like a tunic like what what, how would you describe the the uniforms you wore at Immaculata? uh
1: we had (laughs) we had a tune it was a wool tunic it had felt letters uh they had the uniform, the letters were embroidered on it, and then somewhere along the line, I don't know why, they put felt letters over the top of them. And uh, we had a um, a weaved belt that there were that uh, we uh, around the waist that was from the field hockey team. We had corduroy jackets. Can you imagine corduroy jackets? And um, and a, underneath was a Peter Pan type of uh, polo. And uh, you know that when they made the movie. The, the, the actresses who wore that, uh, they asked them that question. Katie Hayek, who played Trish Sharkey in the movie, she said, they asked, how did it feel to play in that tunic? Because she played it. Uh, Katie played at the University of Miami and wore the typical uniform they wear today that we're familiar with. And she said, honestly, it was freeing. It was great. It was great to play in it. So that's what we knew. That's what we played in. Um, didn't bother me. That's that was it. And we just played.
0: So you mentioned you didn't think your playing days were necessarily over. Uh, What when you look at the lay of the land, once your your senior year is done, what were were there options out there? You considered, like overseas stuff like that or or what were you looking at? No, no.
1: I graduated in May and was married in June, so I wasn't going to be playing um, professional basketball at that time. Um, Again, I looked at it that this was my window. This was my window of time to play. I have X amount of games and that's, they it. And I think that when you're an athlete, even today, you have at your window, you have X amount of games and you've got to take care of them very, very carefully because so many things could, um, there's injuries, there's all kinds of other things that could happen and you don't want to interrupt those games or, by doing something yourself. You want to make sure that you can do everything you possibly can to make sure that that time is your time. And I can't stress that enough. Even when I was coaching, you only get so many don't waste them.
0: So when does coaching uh, appear on your radar? Like, was it something you always figured at, at one way or another you would get into? Uh, Cause I think you start off at St. Joe's, how, you know, what's the discussion the internal discussion? <laughs> what's the, what door gets opened for you or what opportunity comes about?
1: Well, here's the thing. You Remember I said, I didn't want to go to Immaculata and I ended up there. When I graduated, I said, well, I certainly don't want to coach. You know, I was a bi- biology and chemistry major. I was probably going to go to Smith Klein, and French at that time in research. And um, we're married, Carl and I are married. And uh, he is like, okay, now you're my wife. This, this is back in the time This tells you the culture. You're my wife, and now I am your best friend, and that's it. So get rid of all your friends, and this is what you'll do. Blah, 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 blah. I, I laugh about this, but I did this. Uh, it was those pre Cana classes, I guess. <laughs> but anyway, at St. Joe's, um, they fired Jack McKinney, and he had was coach of the year that year, and the whole bit. And the guy, and we're following in the Philadelphia Daily News, and the guy who does it is Father Michael Blee. He's the AD. So lo and behold, I'm at Our Lady of Fatima teaching sixth grade, and I get a message from the principal that uh, St. Joseph's Joseph's College is trying to get in touch with me. I said, who is this? And they said, Father Michael Blee. And I'm thinking, there's no way I am talking to Father Michael Blee. I mean, I've just read about this guy. So lo and behold, I go over there uh, to St. Joe's, and I meet him. He was a wonderful man, just a great, great man. And uh, I get hired to coach the team. Now I'm in the interview and he says to me, okay, you're going to be the coach. And by the way, your team is waiting for you in the gym. So now I'm all dressed for an interview. I have to go in the gym and coach a team. So as they're doing one drill, I'm doing the next and trying to get this thing together. But again, those young women, uh, Mary Sugarity, Chrissy McGoldrick, uh, who's now Dr. Chrissy Zayabu, Muffet McGraw, who's at, um, Notre Dame, a bit of success. Mary Mary. Yeah, th- I had a pretty good group. Um, <laughs> pretty smart group. And um they were my first team. So off they go, and we're winning games. And lo and behold, people are canceling on us because we're winning. And that year we went, I think, nine and two. I'll never forget it. Nine and two, but people canceled. They didn't want to play us because we'd win. That <laughs> was great. It was a wonderful start. And then from there, uh Rutgers opened up. They wanted a full time coach. Um and I think I was their third choice. I think they wanted uh, Lucio Cavallis and Kathy Brush. And neither one of them took it. So I took it. And then from there, uh, coasted Rutgers. Um, in fact, this is our 40th anniversary this year of our national championship. So that's interesting the way all those things come about. But again, I had great players, great players who did all kinds of mar- marvelous things in their career as they went on. And I was just fortunate enough to be, again, at the right place at the right
0: time. How long did it take for you to feel like you hit your pace as a coach? And I don't mean necessarily wins and losses, but Mm -hmm. felt comfortable in the role, all that it entailed, knew what you expected of yourself, knew what you expected out of a team, the recruiting. How how was it pretty immediate? You felt like you were but okay. It it took a
1: while. Um you you know, you're coaching the game, and the, the biggest thing is not to watch it, is but to actually coach it and figure out, you know, what's coming, where the players are going to go uh where that's happening and again um it took a while i had a, a great assistant coach in uh, bill blendell who was a high school coach up at matutchen in new jersey he was very very uh, helpful to me and uh so many people along the line have been very very instrumental um you know we had lost the game and dick here's someone another one from dick weiss and uh I was mad about the game, whatever we lost, and the, the press had come, and, and I wasn't going to talk to them. He said to me, oh, yes, you are. He said, you talk to the press, win or lose. And I learned that lesson very early, that that's how you do that. Um, so, I mean, again, I, I had so many people in my life, Matt, that were key, and, that helpful, and that helped me along that, uh, you know, I could never begin to thank all of them, but it took time. It took a little time.
0: And I think you mentioned this when you get hired at Rutgers. First, you were the first full-time women's basketball coach in the country. That's right. Did did the did you realize that at the time? Was it like brought to your attention, not necessarily by the school, but by a, a reporter or something? And and what? How does that hit you? Because you're what 25. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. you know that that's pretty heady stuff.
1: When uh, I won my first, we won our first national championship. I had just turned. Uh, I, had, I was twenty nine when we won it. And we turned 30, turned 30 the end of the week. Um, again, at that time, a lot of the schools had physical education. So you had people who were studying phys ed, and that was going to be their major. They were going to teach that in schools. Now we've taken away, that away, which I'm, I'm, I'm sorry we did that. But I had players who loved the game. When you think of the players at Rutgers, you think of Mary and Patty Coyle. And their, um, their championship game against Texas was played uh, on the Big Ten Network um, a year ago. And you sit and you watch it. Texas had great athletes, unbelievably quick, fast athletes that wanted to just take the ball from you. And it was, you know, fast break, breakneck basketball. But Mary was the point guard. Mary played. I told her, I said, I'm not taking you out of this out of these games. You played uh, the semifinals and the finals. The kid played 80 minutes and never had a turnover. And she handled the ball against Texas pressure. And that's, that's why we won that game because we couldn't, we weren't as athletic as they were, but we could handle the ball. We knew what we wanted to do with our shot selections, and we played together as a team. And um, that, and they, oh, they've all gone on to done and have done great things in their lives. And I think that, you know, again, I was fortunate to be in a place where I had, Great, great players, and they wanted to listen. They weren't a problem, Um, and uh, they loved the game, and I think that made a difference. It, it saddens me right now when I see the transfer portal, um, in there. You know, like seventeen hundred kids. You know, I think pro football, I'm not uh, division one football players are in the in the in the portal. Well, when it's all said and done, six hundred are still left there. They lost their scholarships, and why? Because College is a time where you come in and you're going to use your all the things that your parents have taught you, and then you're going to swing the pendulum all the way over and see everything you can get away with, and then bring it back. But you need that time to be able to develop and learn those those kinds of skills. And I think when they don't get what they want, um, you know, I'm in the middle of the season. I'm going to the transfer portal, and I'm going to do this. So I'm going to there. It's life is not easy it's hard and you have to work at it and you have to fail in order to get up and, and go. And I, I just really hate to see that. I really do.
0: I'm curious. You win that. You mentioned, you mentioned you win the national title at Rutgers in 82. And I think was that the last AIAW? AW yes. the, the yes. NCAA took it over mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm. So how does a three-time champ as a player, you win a championship as a coach do the, Does it hit differently as a head coach? Is it a different satisfaction than winning it as a player?
1: Yes. Yes. Because I'm not the player, the players. When I see those guys, when I see those kids today, and they're not kids, but still they'll always be kids to me. Um, the, the things they talk about the stories they tell, um, phenomenal, just really phenomenal. And I think when I see, you know, Chris Daly, who was a really a role player for us, um, You know, I I said to her, Chris, the only shots you can take, you have to make two layups and get to the free throw line before you're allowed to take a shot. So when she goes to Connecticut and she's um, the assistant up there for Gino, and she at the time she's playing and practices with them all the time. She calls me up and she said, Teresa, I just want you to know I scored a thousand points at Connecticut in practice. I said, not a problem. So I sent her a dozen red roses. Here's your roses. So they're the kind of things that uh, make make it you know, watching them cut the nets down, watching them do that, watching them celebrate. um, That's neat. I enjoy it. I know that we've succeeded. And my job was to try and get them to a situation where they could have that opportunity and their moment. That's my job. And that was always my job in coaching. And I think, you know, as you go along, I know that we can win. I know that we can get this done, but sometimes making other people believe it is difficult Uh, For instance, when I was at the University of Illinois, you know, we were lower than dog biscuits on the food chain out there. I mean, 125 people would come to the game. And I kept thinking, we work all week, but for 125 people to see, this is not right. We've got to do something here. So I did some different things, some antics and some marketing type of things. But I would say in the paper that we're good. We're going to do this, that, the next thing. And I can remember Ashley Bergen, who was an All-American, who not that at that time, and she said, you know, the one thing about Coach Grants is she doesn't say it just in practice. She'll say it outside and she'll say it to the press. So either she believes this or she's nuts. Take your choice. And when Ashley wanted at the end of her sophomore year, my first year I coached her, I said, Ash, what do you want? And she said, I really want to be a player of the year. I said, OK, then this is what we'll do. And she said afterwards when she had graduated and came back, she said, you know, you didn't laugh at me. You you said, OK. I said, I would never laugh at someone's dreams and goals. I will help you get there. And that's where my job is to push you beyond where you can't get by yourself. That's my job as a coach.
0: In addition to the the college coaching, uh, you also had a pretty extensive resume coaching you at the U.S. national team, uh, took the U.S. team to the Olympics in 92, won bronze. Before we talk about winning a medal, what's what is that experience like just coaching at that level
1: that's again you're trying to get your players in the situation um where they will be successful and you have the best players in the world and you know we coached um, a lot of different tournaments and we had the world championships and a culmination was the olympics and um You know, it didn't come out with the goal that we had wanted, but at the same time, it was a a life experience. It it really was. It was a lot
0: of fun. And what was, you know, you win. You mentioned you didn't get the goal, but, you know, bronze medal, not a lot of people can say that. What, you know, what's that like? Where does that rank on the list of your accomplishments? Well, here's the thing, Matt. The coach doesn't get a medal. Really? Only the players. Really? I did not know that. Yes. Only the, only the players. That's very interesting. <laughs> um, so you get inducted. I think if I'm correct, the Mighty Max as a team were inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame. You're a member of the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. What do honors like that mean to you?
1: Um, again, and I, I try to put this in perspective at this point in my life is that I had that moment. I had that time. This is when these are my games. This is it. Did I do the best job that I could possibly do? Did I do everything that I could to make this um, the best, the best that could be. And that's the way I look at it. And if it's not enough for anybody at this point, then it's not enough, but this is what it was. This is what we did.
0: And that will be my legacy. And you mentioned we referenced a couple times the movie, uh, the Mighty Max that was made. I think it was two thousand nine. Uh, it came out. How surreal was it seeing your life portrayed on the screen? And were you uh, Were you there? I. It sounds like you were there for shoots and stuff like that. Well, here is the thing: um, the movie, uh,
1: you know, um, Hollywood always takes liberties—a lot of liberties, a lot of liberties. <laughs> So here's the story. If you didn't know our story and you watched the movie, you're going to really like that movie. But if you know the story and you watch the movie, you're thinking, oh, they kind of missed the point a few times here. Like I said, I, I, I'm i sorry the way they portrayed Ed Rush because mm-hmm. he really was key. And, um, you, know, you know, Kathy wouldn't have an assistant coach who was a novice nun, and the nun wouldn't have had a car. You know, so there's a lot of things in there that, um, but what happens, Matt, and it's interesting, is that around, you know, the end of February and March, I will get phone calls from coaches, high school coaches all over the country. And they'll call and they'll say, you know, coach, we're, we're watching the Mighty Max. Can you talk to my team or something about that? And I think from that standpoint, it's a great piece because somebody has the chance to say, we're we're an underdog. This word, the, the, the chips might be stacked against us. But you know what? Somebody else, the chips were stacked against them, and they did it. Maybe we can do it. We can come together and do it. And that part is a visual for them to see. I think that's great. I think that's a lot of fun.
0: How would you, when it's all said and done, how do you want your basketball time to be remembered?
1: Um, I think that I would just like to be remembered as somebody who respected the game. It was respected in the game, and I always gave it my best. Whatever it was, whatever the practice, the games, uh, I gave it my best. And I'm a mighty Mac, and I will be a mighty Mac till the day I die. And I'm, I've already said, we kid every now and then, and said, yep, that'll be right on my tombstone.
0: <laughs> Teresa Grintz, this was so much fun. Thanks for taking the time.
1: Matt enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank former Immaculata University basketball star Teresa grants a Women's Basketball Hall of Famer for being our guest this week. Now if you like the show and you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one-on-one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at MattLeon1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.